Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to have you with us. I'm Cassidy and as always I'm joined by my lovely co-hostess. Hey guys! This week we are continuing our foray into season two of The Legend of Vox Machina. Last week we finished with season one and the crazy cliffhanger that it ended on. So this episode we're talking all things the start of season two and the craziness that ensues. Um, But before we get into the actual episode itself, just our usual spoiler warning slash disclaimer. If you're not familiar with The Legend of Vox Machina or Campaign 1 or anything Critical Role related, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is available for free on various platforms. So do check it out. But um, just keep in mind, we are getting into spoilery territory, especially as far as the show is concerned. So um, listener discretion is advised for anybody who's maybe trying to avoid spoilers and or catching up on the campaign before watching the animated show. Mm -hmm. Um, But as always, for those who do stick around and listen, um, we say this all the time, but it's always true. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us. And um, we hope you're enjoying this crazy journey with these crazy kooky people as much as we are absolutely and with that uh let's talk about where we left these guys off right because it's an interesting situation here right because they're fresh off their victory against the briarwoods cassandra's um handling stuff at whitestone percy's still with the uh with the group and going back to amman and Uriel has made a very surprising decision to abdicate the throne. Um, I want to know, I think we already talked a bit about this in the last episode, but I do want to uh, get your opinion on this, because I think when we talked about this in the last episode, we did mention that it's an unusual selfless act from somebody to give up that much power. What do you? What did you think of that? Yeah, it definitely was just because it was very kind of abrupt in the sense. Oh, yeah. He just kind of called all these people together and then just very matter of factly was like, I'm abdicating, which is cool. It's great that he came to that realization and he took that step. Mm-hmm. But I think we mentioned this the last time in, or in the last episode, but um, it's a huge deal. And it's not as simple, especially for a person in his position to just abdicate like that without having some sort of like you know void i'd like to say yeah well that but also like you you need it it's a you need a plan right you can't just abdicate because then there could be a vacuum you need a contingency plan of course absolutely he kind of had one uriel was like oh the council will now be in power but it's like these people are also like your advisors and they've been doing other stuff beyond just like helping you rule and it's also like how many of them are actually qualified maybe to rule you know like even as part of a council like not to you know put any of them in like or cast any of them in a bad light but it's how many of them are actually qualified to be in positions of power where they can delegate to other people and like you know do things (laughs) that Uriel would have done so um yeah that part I just thought was really interesting no I absolutely agree with you because like um it's different when you're in just an advisory capacity and then it's different when you're actually in the position to make those decisions yourself right you are absolutely right about that and that's why I found that whole situation interesting 
Um, but let's not forget the events that take place after this announcement that completely changes the trajectory in which the series is going, right? Because it's like, it's a pivot completely. Because up until now, it's been sort of political intrigue. It's been um, it's been a mix of magic and political intrigue. But right now, after this event, it go it straight up goes into legends and myth and deities and all those things. Uh, let's talk about that because I found that super interesting. Let's get going with that. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is just the critical role lore. Like, that's mm -hmm. something yeah, that they've done really well. And I yeah. think it's, it's super exciting. Um, just, like, watching even, like, the current Absolutely. campaigns and stuff. It definitely like, speaks to their... Uh, the the way they've handled the lore i absolutely agree with you yeah yeah ahead. it's a really cool and like rich world which i think it i mean i personally love that about it that there's like all these elements of like fantasy and sci-fi and stuff and it's um really something that like personally is right up my alley so mm -hmm. i'm always like why didn't i find this sooner why didn't i check it out sooner <laughs> But um, the show does a really good job of kind of capturing the richness of like the campaigns and um, really kind of condensing it, but still showcasing it in a way that it feels like the world is complete and like everything is well developed. Yes. And um, I mean, we, we've said this multiple times when we oh, talked yeah. about the series that like, mm -hmm. given how much they had to condense for the animated show. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing that like they were able to fit in as much as they did because the actual campaigns are just hours and hours and hours, like hundreds of hours of content. Of course. And they're condensing like I think I remember reading that like the Briarwood arc alone was like 35 hours or you know, something like I that. Can and they imagine. basically had to like mm -hmm. condense it into like six hours worth of content <laughs> for, you know, season one. Yeah. So um that part I thought was really cool. I absolutely agree. Let's talk about that um, because I think the fact that it's, I think the format makes it that long because each of the players involved has to wait their turn and perform an action. And then the result of that action plays out again and then everyone takes their turn. So that's why I can understand why the campaign takes that much time. But animation is like super quick. You know, like the story has to go go through its paces very quickly. But it does speak to the production team um, that they were able to do this without taking anything away from the story. But mm -hmm. I do want to say that Matt Mercer is the game master must have had so much fun doing all of this nonsense. I swear to God. It, it, I... I I really think he must have had so much fun doing all the crazy shit that he did, especially because he, as the narrator, sets up the stakes after each action, right? Like, good, yeah, because I, I'm not that much into this kind of game. But I I know I know bits. So go ahead and and you yeah, know, no, give mean, me more info. I think the the cool thing I think about the campaign and even just I think like games like D&D &D or, mm -hmm. you know, tabletop RPGs and things like that. Um, the thing, I mean, I'm only really seeing Critical Role and mm -hmm. like a really, really brief bit of Dimension 20. So it's mm -hmm. not like I had super extensive knowledge, but the thing that I always thought was super cool is how interactive it is. So even though you have like 
a dm or a gm who's potentially kind of like guiding the story yeah it's still like the players can still change the trajectory and they can of still course. change outcomes um as they play and i think yeah. that's super cool because as a person who likes coming up with crazy ideas myself like i've never ah. played D D, but <laughs> um it, it's i like that part is just really fascinating that like you would have this idea and then when you're playing you're kind of like sharing that with multiple other people whether they're players or like mm-hmm. you know like recurring players or like guests or just you know your oh, yeah. group that you're routinely playing with and i think it's so cool that you can kind of give your idea or like share this idea with people and yeah. then watch them run with it which is what it seems like a lot of um the critical role campaigns have been where it's just like oh yeah Matt coming up with this crazy idea and then just watching the rest of the cast like run with it and then it's you get like incredible. really epic moments yes. yeah you get crazy moments you get like oh my god what the heck is happening moments and most of um, them come in season two by the way I have to say like I cannot <laughs> believe the shit that they pulled and it, it, in the best way I I mean this in the best way go ahead go ahead yeah no I mean I was just gonna say like like season two is a very again small portion of campaign one Mm -hmm. because the campaigns are just hundreds and hundreds of hours but Mm -hmm. I remember like we weren't live vlogging or we weren't we were like texting or chatting as we were watching the show um and I think I'd watched it before you and I had some background knowledge yeah I remember when you started watching EXU and like hearing things like the vestige of divergence your reaction that was like I was like waiting for that moment like yeah Yeah. she knows what they yeah 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 exactly it comes together that way like I think that's really cool but also I mean and I've said this definitely off recording Mm -hmm. um probably on recording too but the thing that I love about Critical Role is and even like the animated show which it's like seems like it's setting up uh to do is like there's so much continuity and stuff that happens in campaign one Mm -hmm. you can see the like consequences play out over an extended period of time because campaign one takes place at one point in time and we're on campaign three now which is like 30 years in the future and Mm -hmm. you get to see like the consequences of some of the actions that happen in campaign one and I think like that is really cool and really fascinating to see so I love like that aspect of it no definitely um I definitely agree with you there but let's get into this because the chroma conclave is here right and again i want to i want to expand on this because in every piece of media that we've seen dragons are these creatures of myth and some most of the time benevolent right like they're revered creatures but in this <laughs> lore yeah like if you look at uh I, I don't want to bring up a show that we are never going to talk about again on this podcast, but um, um, anyway, um, okay. In let's talk in any most myth- mythological stories that I say, especially Eastern mythology, right? Dragons are creatures of myth and revered creatures like they're powerful and they're supposed to be all-knowing all, all it's it they're mythical creatures right 
But in this mm -hmm. setting, they are dangerous. They crave power. They destroy everything in their path. And what I do love about it is that they created dragons with different powers, I would say. One, one, uh, one basically spews acid. One uh, has po the power to basically, you know, freeze you up. And then there's Thordak, who was who's voiced by the unfortunately late Lance Reddick. I cannot believe that. I still, I know. I'm still getting over that, to be honest. Uh, but yeah. Um, He's he he's more of a fire lava kind of dragon in this Thordak, mm -hmm. right? So I want to talk about all of that because there's so much going on there. So let's let's get into it because it totally yeah, steers I mean, the story in a different direction. So yeah, yeah, and it's I mean we saw dragons in season one, we saw Brimsite yeah. in season one, and Brimsite oh, yeah. alone was like massive. Uh, but I think if a Scanlan puts it. You know, he was half the size of mm -hmm. the These rest dragons. of the Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, like, seeing that final shot in season one, or like that mm. final scene where it's just, it looks like it's one dragon descending on Iman, and then you get to see four of them come four in. Of them. Oh, that was God. pretty epic. But yeah, yeah I love the, the like design of the dragons, and I appreciate mm. that they all kind of have different skill sets or powers, whatever you want to call them. And um, they're not all just like the typical, like, you know, big, large, red, fire-breathing dragon like Thorak mm. certainly is. I think he mm -hmm. kind of fits the mold of what a traditional dragon yeah. might be perceived as. <laughs> but the others are all uh, different sizes, uh, different, like, lengths, I guess. And they, yeah. they've all got... Different you know, proportions, own... I I would say. That's all I can say about yeah. that. Yeah, okay. Continue. And they've all got like their own, you know, skill sets and stuff. Yes. So yes. that part I thought was super cool. And I it love was. their designs. Um, I don't know, just something about their designs just like really, really, I just really liked that they were all different. And like you could pick out and see, even though a lot of them had like very limited screen time, uh, you kind of could see like who was who and you got a sense of, what their power was yeah, almost just yes. on their design like alone i think the only exceptions might have been Vorigal, who was the ice dragon mm. or like his thing was ice and then yeah. um umbrasil who was the dragon that spat acid and yeah. could also turn invisible um they were like a Which little was, bit hard to like get. there was another one raishan yeah. if i'm not wrong she she had yeah she was like she could breathe poisonous or poison poisonous gas mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh she has another ability that comes in handy for the end of season two <laughs> i do remember i know what you're talking about but that's for a later time absolutely go on but yeah i mean no i was just like i loved their design and i don't mm -hmm. know there's like i mean i think personally in a lot of media that i've uh watched i there hasn't been a ton of dragons but usually when there are dragons it's like very kind of almost traditional in the sense you know they're very like they're, they're very much based I think on like eastern mythology mm -hmm. or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they're heavily influenced by I guess the imagery um, from those myths yeah I agree with right you. which I mean like 
those are really beautiful don't get me wrong i absolutely love them but i really appreciated that like the production team on this took the time to make each one different Mm. even though maybe like in total they probably had across like the whole season the dragons probably had like i don't know half an hour screen time maybe less like they don't have a ton of screen time across the season there's in a few scenes throughout season two but when they do have scenes it's still like you really get a sense of how big they are how powerful they are Um, and the threat they pose absolutely yeah yeah I agree. So let's get into this because I know I keep saying let's get into this, but oh my God. Uh, (laughs) But they're causing a lot of carnage here, these dragons. Their goal is to basically raise Iman to the ground and just, you know, take over. And you can, again, oh, Lance Reddick, Mm, damn it. He did such a good job as Thordak. The way he was like, I'm being merciful to you. Just don't uh, interfere with our plans, and do, and that's it. We're we're gonna deal with it. We're gonna d- do what we have to do, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard. I think for people to, I mean, obviously for people who are not trained voice actors or professional mm-hmm. uh, voiceover artists, it's I think very difficult to kind of lend that sense of like power and doom. Power, yeah. But Lance Reddick, oh my god, like I, they're like, he's one of those actors too, like when you, when he's in a role, if you've seen him in anything else, you can kind of pick out almost immediately that like, that's Lance that's Reddick. Him. And that's watching, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watching this, I was like, this, as soon as Thordak opened his mouth, I was like, yeah. I know that voice. Silence. That's silence. So that times. is silence. Yeah, no, I, I like I've screamed at him so many times in Horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um yeah, I mean he really like I'm very interested to see how they do season three now because unfortunately, I mean, uh Lance Reddick is no longer able to be Thordak and that, oh, that God, that shock, I think to you everybody like his his passing is unfortunately like Okay, I, I want to take a minute, right? Um, rest in peace, my man. You were amazing. I That's all I'm going to say about that. But oh my God, him as silence. I, I, and more importantly now, as Zeus in, in the Percy Jackson series that's supposed to be coming out. I'm like, I can't, man. I just... Between... Between Horizon 3, whatever that was going to be, yeah. which I'm sure he was going to be in, it if was. they had already finished, uh, mm-hmm. between that, Percy Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. him being Zeus, and this, him being Thordak, I mean, he was in so many things that, like, I personally was looking forward to, Yeah, and even though I didn't know him personally, obviously, like, when that news broke, I was like, like, this has to be a joke, like, he was so young, and he was so, so talented, and, like, yeah. everything role of his that I've seen like he just he's been exceptional exceptional that's all I can say like embodied those characters so well and um they were all like so unique and I was Mm. so looking forward to seeing him as Zeus and like Mm. I mean we'll we'll get to see him for season one but like I don't know how they're gonna you know do that moving deal forward, with this but, um, yeah dude i just i mean he was yeah. in so many things i was looking forward to and yeah. this especially i mean 
him as Thordak is like they could not have found a more perfect fit for Thordak because oh, there's something about like the that way he presents. Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he's so good at it, and and I mean, again, it takes a special sort of I think it's his voice. It's just his like, that voice. I can't. It's very distinct. Yeah. I have to say, you know, it is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But he just does such a good job. And so when that news broke, I remember thinking like, they're pranking me. They're pranking me. Right. That's what I thought the first time I read that on Twitter. I was like. They're breaking us, right? This yeah. is crazy. But unfortunately, it turned out to be true. And um, rest in peace, my man. That's all I can say. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, moving on again, from that. Miss Thordak, like, that's just, yeah. you, I think part of it is you really get a sense of how big of a deal this is because mm-hmm. like, Vox Machina has taken down one dragon. Yeah. And like, they, they, it took them a bit, but they did it. Yeah. But Scanlan puts again, it best. I, I, okay. So Scanlan says they got lucky with with Brimsight, which again I don't want to minimize what they did, mm-hmm. but it was. I wouldn't. Ex- I I don't know if I should call it luck or if I should say that they did something accidentally that worked against Brimsight. What do you think of I that? Think- I think it's a little bit of that and also just them being very good at reacting mm-hmm, like quickly mm-hmm. and thinking on their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I think also what worked in their favor then was that Rimsyth was alone. Yes, he was very powerful. Oh, yeah. Yes, they were still kind of like... But he was one thing. dragon. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was by himself at that point and even though he technically had a connection or like a link with the others they weren't there and they couldn't have done anything at that point and maybe they didn't want to maybe the whole point was that they were okay with Brimsythe being there because maybe for the rest of the Chroma Conclave they thought like he's not gonna fall like there's no way these like idiots are gonna bring him down and then they do that and also um, even when they saw that he was being brought down it was like you know what this is one loss but our greater goal is something else what do you think mm-hmm. of that yeah i mean it's entirely possible i don't know if that's the way it played out in the actual campaign i don't know if there's any sort of like um reveal as far as that goes mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i mean it, it is certainly possible that they were like it's a loss but you know moving on we just cut our losses and do what we do and oh yeah just proceed as, as normal but at, by the time season two starts there's four of them and they're all descending on Amon. and also i think what was different this time is that nobody was prepared like when vox mm. machina went to fight brimsythe the first time even if they weren't necessarily prepared they knew what they were going to do and they going knew up against and, yeah they knew yeah, it was a dragon yeah 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and also i think they were part of it was that they were also motivated to take those risks because yeah. part of it was like the coin at the end that they were going to be promised and part of it yes. was also they had literally just seen what brimside was capable of and, and what he had done absolutely the aftermath of yeah. his attack on that village exactly. absolutely So I think part of it was like them, even if it was like a reckless decision in season one to go up against Brimsight, they had seen, especially like the scene with like the little kid and and them finding his body and um, kind of 
taking that anger and channeling yeah. it into like fighting broom sites yeah 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 i think that helped mm -hmm. um but also like you said i don't think it diminishes what they did in season one mm -hmm. but season two is very different because they weren't planning on fighting four dragons and also they were in a situation in a place where there was no sort of preparation like i don't know that amon had ever thought to prepare for a dragon attack and even if no. they did i don't know if they would have thought as far as preparing for four dragons like coming in all at once <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. i agree and so um it's i don't know the something about that scene uh just kind of reminded me of um the the hobbit when oh the, uh what's his name is it the hobbit am i confusing things which <laughs> one when he attacks um luke evan i'm totally blanking on names <laughs> no but which story because if you're talking about the desolation of smog that's different if you're talking about uh, because that is part of the hobbit and if you which bit are you talking about what's the the city that's on the lake when it's attacked i think it's the hobbit right i was literally just watching this movie and now my brain is like I'm sorry, I'm I don't know which like story you're talking about. My bad. It's okay. It was a bad reference, but part of it just reminded me of like Tolkien stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated that. But also, again, I mean, this is like a, it's a huge deal because I don't think, certainly, I don't think Eagle or the council really prepared for four dragons attacking at once. No, definitely and not. I think that worked to the Chroma Conclave's favor because mm -hmm. it was like a surprise attack and it happened very quickly and so I think oh, yeah. they were able to do a lot of damage because nobody expected them but I don't think it diminishes what Vlox Malkana did in season one and oh, certainly yeah, not going sure. forward I think once they know what to expect um I think they're more prepared for it and I have said this before but I'm also just like if we had just been able to see like Pike and Keyleth just like let loose I think between the two of them, they could have taken the Chroma Conclave. They could have, but how would that make... Uh, again, this is where the whole Game Master and uh, tabletop roleplay thing comes in, right? Because what kind of role would Ashley Johnson and Marisha Ray would have had to play to not be able to defeat these dragons during gameplay? What do you think? Because that's a lot, right? Part of it, I think, is also just, like, the way stories work. Like, it's less interesting if you have a character who's, like, overpowered, overpowered and mm -hmm. is just constantly that way. And it's, like, mm -hmm. always wins, never fails, all of that. But, um, I mean, I'm I'm just, like, I love them as characters. And, I mean, I love the entire, like, crew. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like same. all the characters are so much fun and I think because they are flawed that's what makes them so interesting but um I I always think of like I forget that I think there's been a couple or multiple posts I'm sure of like people commenting on how the most powerful people in Vox Machina are like a tiny little gnome woman who looks like she can't do anything but is like ultra powerful and like a super like insecure druid who's got like you know, all Avatar the powers. And like, doesn't, or is like super hesitant to use it. But like, if they could just let loose, it would like, it's like that meme where it's like, you know, the, the meme that has, um, 
it's like two books and one is like really fat. Oh yeah, like, I know. So okay, okay, I know. It, um, <laughs> it's like, it's like this character, this <laughs> this series, uh, just the series, and then the which is like super big, and then the other stack is a smaller book which just says this series if this person had a gun, like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, something like that, something like that. Like, to that effect yeah I know what you mean yeah it's that meme but with the show like it would be the really thin book if Keyleth and Pike could just let loose and just do yeah agree <laughs> their thing but um but no I think what makes them really interesting though is like they do have like all of them and just characters in general the characters with flaws and the characters who are struggling are always sometimes more relatable because they're mm. going on journeys that like we in the real world can relate to even if we don't yeah. have those like Powers, we're not in like yeah we're not in like that fantasy world or whatever mm-hmm. um and something marisha said once too also really i thought was really cool was that um i think unfortunately from what i understand when campaign one was airing there was a lot of like backlash against i guess keyleth being a little bit more like timid almost or like I don't want oh, to Oh, come on. Like, okay. I want to spend a minute on this because I have seen so many fandoms do this and I I will despise them for it forever okay I really will I'm being very honest with you about this because you and I are of the same opinion on this we've talked about this off recording like multiple times right because they will yell at this character if they if this character is timid but if the character displays even the slightest amount of emotion or rage or anger and is a little bit more powerful than normal, they would still rage about it and be like, that can't be realistic. They can't be that powerful. Especially <laughs> if it's a woman. I'm sorry to say this, but I've seen so many examples of this and that makes me really mad. So, yeah. You know. No, but I think what was really cool is um, Marisha had commented on that and she said the one thing that she kind of purposely did, I think, was that even though Keyleth maybe at times was like, a little bit more like unsure of herself or not mm-hmm. as confident and mm-hmm. um all of that she she made a comment on how she was going like she purposely made sure that even though Keyleth was like supposed to be the leader of the Ashari eventually mm-hmm. down the line after she completed her armante she mm-hmm. was kind of like a more I guess like introverted almost type character if mm-hmm. that makes any sense mm-hmm. and she made a comment on how people like Keyleth can be leaders and they can still have those traits and I thought that was so cool that's a cool thing yeah I mean of course not everyone uh, has to be an extrovert for that I absolutely agree you made a really good point that um, Keyleth even as an introvert can be a very good leader I shouldn't say even as an introvert because personally I'm an introvert myself um, and although I am not as strong as Keyleth, um, I do think that it's important to show that just because you're not an extrovert doesn't mean that you can't lead if, if when you need to. So I absolutely agree with that, uh, definitely. But uh, let's talk about the situation they find themselves in, because the Chroma Conclave is basically just decimating Iman. At this point, they have to make a run for it. The The city is in shambles at this point. It's not, it's not going great. And they have to split up to cover ground um, and meet up later. Uh, so let's talk about that. Because 
this episode does a really good job of showing the kind of carnage that these dragons are willing to cause. Um, so let's talk about that because I think there's a lot going on here. Yeah, I mean, the dragons are like, they have, I guess, no reason to show mercy and like no desire to so when you just see like swaths of them on mm-hmm. just get engulfed in poisonous Flames acid or flame acid, or yeah. yeah like anything it's um i think like you said it does a good job of showcasing just kind of how far the dragons are willing to go because for them yeah. it's not far at all like that's just you know it's whatever for them uh but you can really see like the chaos that Amon is kind of thrown into yeah. because again I don't think they really prepared for this and yeah. um there there's not enough time to kind of like enact any sort of like contingency plan or oh, do yeah. anything to help yes. people escape there's like a lot of casualties and pretty brutal ones too like people yeah. just dying and really like brutal, in acid or like, getting <laughs> suffocated by poisonous gas or stuff like that you know so it's I know exactly what you mean yeah it's again very very brutal ways to die unfortunately Mm -hmm. but even in spite of that I mean um as many people as they can help get away Fox Maga helps and I think like that part was really nice to see um but also like there's this one shot of like them having like after they've retreated to their keep and then it's just like scores of people just lined up just waiting to like seek shelter in like any place so cool to kind of see that I think Vox Machina had achieved that status, like that, that was probably part of it, but then also just, you know, the situation I'm sure kind of yeah. warranted all the people coming up to the keep. Yes. But um, I thought that was really kind of sweet that they were trying to take in as many people as they could. Oh, yeah. But again, I also thought it was kind of interesting that they did that because their keep is like outside of the city. Yes. It's not in Amon proper. And it's also kind of like it looked like the only thing for some distance. So mm-hmm. it's not like it was super defensible and no, the dragons could have right. still come and raised it, which like they probably Borigal did, did in a bit. Yeah. Well, Borigal does come and that's part yeah. of the issue that like there's this just scores of people lined up just waiting to get out of the city, get somewhere safe. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are like gravitating to the keep. Mm-hmm. And um it was like really nice. <laughs> That they took them in, and that Vox Machina was a gal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it just it like from a logistics point of view, I don't know that that was the best move. Just because again, it didn't look like that keep was super defensible, <laughs> at least not against a dragon. So um, it was supposed to be just a keep. You're absolutely right. It wasn't supposed to be anything crazy. Like yeah. it wasn't supposed to be like a fortress of any kind it was supposed to be a house like a place to stay um yeah but i, I mean do, they do yeah go ahead go ahead i mean i don't know i was just gonna say like, it, it wasn't like taking them in was nice but then they actually do manage to save uh quite a few because keyleth uses her i think it's called tree tree planing i don't mm-hmm. know what the actual official term is but she's able to open her portal through the trees and then get a lot of people to Whitestone or as many as they could anyway and I think mm-hmm. it still counts for something but even some small fraction of like Amon's population <laughs> was able to like 
go to Whitestone. And I mean, Whitestone is not that much safer because mm-hmm. uh, it's still, I mean, it's still accessible to the dragons, but it's far For enough now. away that like, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. some time. So that part, I think like that made sense <laughs> that they just kind of retreated to a further city that would take the dragons more time to get to. And also like in the interim, I think the Chroma Conclave was just kind of basking in the glory of having taken down Iman and like toppling. This They're gloating basically. And, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> so it, um, I don't think they were looking to Whitestone right away, but I'm sure like that was on their hit list of like. Eventually. Down. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, let's talk about uh, the plan. Uh, the plan that they that uh, I keep forgetting the keeper's name. Uh, Yenin. Yenin. Yes, I keep saying Marin because that's a character in the game that I'm currently playing. My bad. But yeah, keeper Yenin suggests a plan, but Scanlan is kind of against it. Let's talk about that because Scanlan makes a good point, but. <laughs> it, but he's kind of outvoted on this. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like that, the fear I think is totally relatable because um, again, not to diminish what they did in season one, but kind of going back to what we said earlier, some part of it, I think of them being able to defeat Brimsythe was just down to like luck. Oh, yeah. like, they got lucky that it was the smallest one of dragon. the dragons yeah, and yeah, 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 just sure. one and also like he was also pompous enough that they could kind of trick him into like you know some stuff anyway um and like they had the kind of insight from gilmore and um they were all able to like come together and defeat him and again it doesn't diminish what they did but i think some part of it is a little part of it anyways down to look mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they don't have that this time and there's four dragons who've completely yeah. like just destroyed him on and and you know like they're basically ran their through best. their defenses like that so yeah I mean, of course. to be fair i don't really think Amon had defenses or if they not did, against there this. wasn't much yeah. yeah like maybe like one or one dragon if they had attacked like one at a time maybe Amon mm-hmm. would have fared better but like for at once I don't think they were prepared for and I don't think they thought like I think they thought that Brimsythe was like it and yeah I wanted to Brimsythe bring that up like... yeah because even against Brimsythe they were having problems right <laughs> but that could be due to two things because as the as part of the army he had insider knowledge as to where he could hit right <laughs> But also, even against that single dragon, the armies were struggling, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that was part of it. So Brimsythe, when he was disguised as Krieg, like, that was his goal, just to, like, dismantle Amon's army. So that when the rest of the Koroma Conclave attacked, Amon would be defenseless which in some part worked because they were really like scrambling and they didn't have the defenses that they would have had had all the people that mm. Brimsythe fought lived yeah. but um but also even like not even taking that into account I was just thinking in terms of like precautions or like stuff that Imon could have done just to like save itself from a dragon attack I don't oh, yeah. know if they ever implemented that or did anything I think maybe 
the, the impression that I got, which could be wrong, but again, I'm not super familiar with campaign one. Like I didn't, I haven't seen all of it. So I don't know if this was ever mentioned or discussed at any point in the actual campaign, but like the impression I got was that Iman was such a big sort of like city that a, maybe they thought a dragon wouldn't attack Amon directly, but it was attacking like smaller, like military outposts, villages, things like that, areas that had a smaller population and were yeah. less defensible, just in the sense that like there was probably less military presence in those areas and, mm -hmm. you know, military outposts that, that doesn't quite hold true, but they're smaller. It's not like the entire army is going to be at every single military outpost all the time. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, with Brimsight, that was definitely part of the plan that like he was systematically dismantling Amon's army and like targeting them. And that's something that like even Vox Machina put together relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. And I I thought it was kind of interesting that like Uriel didn't, but also, yeah. you know, yeah, everything in season one happens so quickly that there's not a lot of time to, I think, catch him up to speed. And so I think he knows that like Brimsight is no longer a problem, but then the Briarwoods become a problem. And then Bach yeah. Machina has to clear their name and all of that. So there's not a lot there's of time a lot going to tell. On. Mm -mm. Yeah. And like Uriel, I guess, just isn't aware that like Brimsight was not acting alone. Um, but by season two, he definitely knows. And after episode one, uh, I think whatever Uriel thinks, it's not really much of an issue anymore, unfortunately. Because he gets melted. Quite yeah. horrifyingly, a, I might add. But yeah, yeah it's I a very rough way to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, that's not, um, that, that's not, like, that's a really rough way to go. Not that any way to go is particularly pleasant but like you know dying by like acid or like being liquefied it's kind oh of horrific. it is horrific <laughs> oh my god it is bittersweet though because like he does save his wife and kids and like yeah. he has really young kids and it's like it's bittersweet and then like he sacrifices himself so that they can live but it's also like those kids are going to be traumatized for life for, oh my god <laughs> that image hell no yeah 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 they yeah. don't need that. That's kind of traumatizing. But this sets these guys off on a different trajectory altogether, right? Because you mentioned <laughs> that Keyleth is able to open uh I wouldn't I don't want to say portal, but a pathway it's to sort of like sort of. I, I know what you're saying. A, a pathway to Whitestone uh after saving Gilmore. Um, and Yenin makes a good point and basically mentions something about the only thing that can defeat all these dragons together. Um, and it's an interesting plan, not gonna lie, but let's talk about that because Scanlan's against going up against these dragons and like you said i understand why because it's for they're formidable and it's not like they can repeat what happened with brimsight now so yeah let's talk about that yeah i mean i think especially with the chroma conclave attacking together i think that really changes the game and then also just i think everybody including us viewers seeing what happened in amon i think it's definitely enough to rattle even the strongest people like Vox Machina. And I mean, I don't think they're not uh, 
it's not like they're they're unafraid of the promo conclave or they're not worried yeah. about what could happen but i think in spite of that um they're i think willing to do whatever and, and some part of it may be motivated by you know the, the promise of a reward at the end or or whatever but i think also for all their faults and maybe for all of them you know trying not to come across as like the heroic type of people that they end up becoming i think part of it is that at, at least at this point they're like we can't do like doing nothing is not an option no. um and i think especially like once they get to whitestone and they get to see uh what's happened since the briarwoods have been mm-hmm. you know taken care of and since whitestone has been reclaimed i think that's like a really good reminder that like in spite of everything people are pretty resilient and they it might take them time and you know it, sometimes mm-hmm. it might be quicker sometimes it might be it might just take longer but people can bounce back and whitestone is a really good example of oh, that yeah. in like in just in like a short amount of time that passes between season one and two the yes. people of whitestone have already reclaimed you know the, the land and the town and the sun tree is blossoming and yeah it's good well, that are might good. be down more to like helix than, than other things but like the yeah, rest of the stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you know like the, like the like the, i think it, there was like a i don't know what was it a dam or like a barrier they had been rebuilding to like mm-hmm. help defend the town and then yep. like you know just like other stuff like mm-hmm. like just having Cassandra back as the leader and having like a Dorolo in a position of power and like overseeing the land and like I think just removing whatever sort of like evil influence the Briarwoods had. had. Yes, yes. I think that definitely helped. But like I think the point is, or at least the point that like I think Zax and others were trying to make was that like as scary as it is to go up against dragons, like not doing we anything is not try. an option because yeah. Yeah, and also like for the Chroma Conclave, Iman was just one in a long list of cities, and if they didn't kind of nip this problem in the bud now, I don't think anywhere on Taldor would have been safe. Yep, and it, that's like, another thing. Yeah, I think also like this is jumping ahead a little bit, but um, Keyleth makes a point in episode three, I think, mm-hmm. where she comments on how iman was really like the first place that accepted them even though they all come from like different backgrounds and from different mm. places mm-hmm. across the continent yes and, yes uh, she says like it's the first place that was really starting to feel like home for them so i think there's also like for them that some aspect. element of like yeah like a personal stake in this too that like even if they have homes elsewhere or if they all come from different backgrounds iman is really like it's where they all kind of came together and like started their journey together as like this adventuring party and so to to see it kind of fall is probably hard but also um i think some part of it maybe was like they like that if they don't do something now there's nowhere that they can go on Taldore that's going to be safe and if Taldore falls I mean Taldore is just one continent but like there are others that the dragons could very easily spread to go if to yeah yeah for sure so um it's I think part of it was like them wanting to like prevent that and then also like they're kind of in a way it's almost like they don't have any other option other than fighting it's either like at this point they submit to the dragon's rule or they fight and or die trying 
So it's, there's not a lot of options for them at this point. And so I think for the rest of the group, it's like, all right, well, if we have to do it, we have to do it. And again, I think Scanlon's hesitance and his fear is very understandable, but it's also like, there's nowhere you, you can run at this point. And, and yeah, nowhere can be point, safe. Yeah. Yeah, like running just doesn't make sense because, I mean, you can run today, you can run tomorrow, but like eventually those dragons are going to catch up and then you're still going to be stuck in a, in the same situation of like running somewhere else and then eventually when all the safe places run out, then like where do you go? So, um, yeah, but I mean, I, I do appreciate that like they even kind of showcase that perspective because I feel like mm. just given the amount of time that the show had and given how much content they're adapting, it would have been very easy to just kind of skip that and go straight to, okay, we're all just going to go fight some dragons. Let's go. And yeah. I really mm -hmm. appreciate that like they took a little bit of time, no matter how small, to kind of show that like it's a huge ask. And yes. No, I agree it, with like, you there. Absolutely. Not everybody's going to be on board and not everybody should be yeah mm -hmm. and like the realistic thing that i think most people would feel is fear and like the reluctance like scanlon does but i think part of what makes like this such an exciting adventure is that like in spite of that we get they to see them go get, on this crazy they go journey. for it anyway i definitely <laughs> agree with you there uh let's talk about their plan because um keeper yenin mentions going to a stronghold in vasselheim because they seem to have an army that they mm -hmm. can that can possibly defeat the dragons um but that doesn't go so well does it because they're just like it's not our business we don't need to get involved in this and we won't send our armies for this basically which mm -hmm. is why um they go after something else already, which completely changes the course of their lives. Um, and some of the best scenes in this show came from that arc. I have to say, I cannot stress this enough. It was crazy, but so worth <laughs> it. Um, and Grog being on his own journey because the Craven Edge is talking to him and making him do things he doesn't want to do. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, oh my god, there's so many like cool things. Um, one, just seeing Vasselheim, I thought was oh, really, yeah, really that cool. was beautiful. Um, it's, I mean, first of all, I mean, I, we've said this multiple times in previous episodes when talking mm -hmm. about the show, the animation is amazing. gorgeous and amazing, yeah. and I can't get enough of it. I love it. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know, there's just something very, like, I, I, I don't know, like, how to describe it, almost like, like seeing Valheim brought to life kind of reminded me in some ways of like some of the cities you see in like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings but then mm -hmm. also had like this element of like sci-fi and then it somehow also to me felt like it had like a critical role stamp if that makes any sense um it just I don't know just seeing it brought to life I thought was really cool and mm -hmm. I would have loved to have seen more of it because we only really get like an episode and change um yeah just a little bit, bit. yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was still really cool to, like, see the city brought to life. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also, yeah, like, they go to Vasselheim uh, hoping to get help from uh, the religious orders there. But 
it's not like I don't know if it's because it's like a city that's run more by like almost like priests almost or like more religious type figures that they're like this is not our fight until it's like knocking on our door um but and they're they're complacent about it too they're like yeah nothing will reach us at this point because we have our defenses ready and we don't care what happens at Taldore right that was their attitude towards this yeah yeah and like obviously that's not the nicest thing or like the greatest attitude to have not at all yeah, unfortunately, it is the attitude that the leaders of Vasselheim had. Um, and it's like, <laughs> I, I don't even it's know. Hard to to explain, it. It's hard to explain, but like, I know what you mean. It, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's frustrating. It's but yeah. like, it's just a very short sighted thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, the, the, they can see what's happening in Amman and oh, they yeah. can see what's coming for them. Yeah. But I think, the leaders of Alfelheim are kind of in this weird sort of like reality where they're like, it doesn't matter it, what happens. It isn't affecting us yet kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And sure. so it's like, okay, but like these are also dragons who can fly and I'm sure you can bridge distances very easily. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how remote you mm-hmm. are and doesn't matter how many defenses you are, you have, but like they're probably, if given the chance, they could probably take down, um, Vasselheim as quickly as they took down Iman. And yeah. so it, it seems like a very short sighted way of thinking. It is. But it doesn't I mean it, it it's really hard, I think, for them to to change their minds. And I think at that point Fox Machina was just like, screw it, we're just gonna have to find alternatives because yep. this isn't they're working. not gonna listen to us. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um they do thankfully kind of get thrown a bone by like one of the clerics who points out that like there is an alternative um person or being that they can seek out for help. Mm-hmm. It just involves going to a place that Vex and Vex are not super happy to be back in. Oh my god, um, <laughs> yes, because they have a history there, dumbasses. Of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> um but um, I want to touch on this for a little bit because I've seen this happen way too many times where twins are disasters. Disasters. Okay. <laughs> like we saw it with Jacob and Evie Fry and we're seeing it with Vex and Vax because disasters, right? They're utter disasters <laughs> in the best possible way. And I love them. Don't get me wrong. I love them. It's super endearing, but it's also like, just just why why you know like that anyway i don't know but they're like because they share a single collective brain cell that's the problem i feel like but yeah i know what you mean go ahead yeah but no i mean like watching um them go back to the slayer's take and like Mm -hmm. watching the whole interaction with like all the members there was really funny because it it was like they were taking turns like playing up their accomplishments on yeah. both sides like mm-hmm. the slayer's take would be like we're a super cool guild of like hunters or whatever and we do x y and z and then Vox yeah. Machina would be like well we do x y and z and it was just like a lot of like that back and forth like mm-hmm. it, it really gave me the vibe of like that old um there used to be the was it a Target commercial I think that had the song that was like anything you can do I can do better yeah that <laughs> it was really like it gave me that vibe um and I don't know I just I, I got a kick out of it it was funny. But, 
But yeah, I mean, they go to the Slayer's Take and they meet the patron, Osiso, who's a sphinx. Um, and as crazy as it is, I kind of love the sequence where like they're initially kind of going against her because um, it's a lot of like, it's that trope of like the characters getting called out oh, on all of I flaws. know what you mean. Yes. It, it was actually like really interesting. And I it feel was like, revealing, I would have yeah, to say. Yeah. Like it's done, it's been done before and, and, I think not every show or movie has done it well, but I think this show and a few others um, have done a really good job mm. of kind of like having their characters be called out on their flaws, but mm -hmm. then doing it in a way that's like, like makes sense. If that, yeah. yep. <laughs> like if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like, you know, like just watching like all the characters kind of get called out on like their flaws or like you know some of their i want to talk guess, about keyleths for a bit because that hit me the most right because yeah it's like uh, because oh my god it it really hit me in the fields because this was like Osisa was like, "You're scared. Are you scared that you'll never complete your Armente, or that no one you love will be able to will be alive to see that moment?" And that's like <laughs> that hits hard, right? Yeah, I mean, it's that, well, and it does play so well against. It, it really plays against Kill what Kilith is feeling really well. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. so yeah, let's. Let's talk about that because you're right. They did it extremely well, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, for all of them. But yeah, I mean, that one is like a really rough one because, um, and spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen campaign one, um, but it like one of the, I don't know if it's a condition so much as just like a thing that she gets mm. or maybe that's mm -hmm. enhanced because I think the she's a half elf druid and so I think mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anybody with elven blood I guess like their lifespan is technically longer than like an longer. average human lifespan yeah, yeah, yeah. but once she completes her armente her lifespan is just like extended for like centuries maybe mm. even like millennia I don't know if it's ever actually specified how long mm. she lives but like yeah, she could yeah. potentially like live, live forever for a very long pretty time. much not forever but no but it's forever compared, but... no 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 I know yeah, what you mean yeah, to, sorry like, yeah no she definitely will outlive them and I think like that part to me was always like I think one of the more fascinating aspects of her character that like even though she had all this power and like she could do all these amazing things I think she was a little bit reluctant to like use it sometimes and then also just like the whole idea of like her kind of grappling with what it would mean to complete this quest and then or like this journey and then just end up outliving everybody that she loved she ever cared because, about yeah yeah and like not even just them but like just generations of their descendants like she'll outlive like even like you know their great 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 grandkids and all of that and so that part I always thought was like super fascinating mm -hmm. but then again like the way that Osisa also words it like how she's commenting on like are you afraid that nobody will like see you are you afraid this? of completing that, like... your quest or afraid that nobody will live to watch you finish it and that's like yeah. 
Oh, well, I don't know she God. called her out on of being afraid to complete it, but I think that's probably certainly something that she felt. Um, but even, you know, for others, like um, she commented on like Pike kind of still being, I guess, like unsure of her role as like mm. a cleric, but then also like being a part of Fox Machina, which is something I think. Yeah. Yeah, that like Pike had kind of and I don't Percy's know what struggled demons. with, but like Percy's demons. Yeah. Vex and Vax mm-hmm. being Vex being completely still uh, waiting for her father's approval, which we will get into more in mm-hmm. a little bit because oh my god, it is one of the most heartbreaking moments. I'm yeah, I, I mean that's I like can't. another thing too that it's like she was so young, I think, and at that age, she all she was really kind of looking for was I think like approval and like acceptance, but her father is like a piece of shit a piece Sorry. of work yeah, he <laughs> is like no that's that's totally true he's a piece of shit and like he is just like worst dad of like ever 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 is correct because, like he's just like i mean like there, there's like bad dads and then there's like ultra bad dads and sildor is like <laughs> he falls into the ladder because he's just like mm-hmm. he's almost like I don't even know, like, it's not even, like, it's almost like he's racist against his own kids, if that makes any sense, because, like, they're not, like, weird. They're your kids, bitch. Well, yeah, but I think, so, I don't know if, so, Vax and Vex are both half-elves, too, but I don't know if their mom might be human, or she might be, like, something else. She's not entirely 100% elven, either, I believe, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he, like, there's that whole scene where he calls Vex diluted and I'm like that is such a like big thing to say to your kids like how could you like I mean that that part I mean I never understand parents who are like who have kids and then who just treat them like garbage it's like why have kids at that point like yeah, nobody I, to, like knock I will never understand person. that I will never but, understand um, that either you're absolutely right yeah I mean like there's that scene it's a flashback in episode three but like when you when I heard him call them diluted I was like that is such a dick thing to say and it then, is a dick thing to like, say but let, let's talk about that because Osisa is only leading them to a place like a very specific place uh, which contains a vestige of divergence basically and that is again I found this really fascinating because there's so many because and I think uh, I like the concept that you find one and that will lead you to the next one that's how they show it, which I really found interesting because I, uh, it's a really cool thing how they form that. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the vestiges are really cool as a concept, um, partly because I think, like, they initially are described as, like, really powerful weapons or items that were used to take down gods, and then mm-hmm. they just kind of got scattered and lost <laughs> I guess throughout Exandria and um it's like anybody can find them anybody can like use one potentially and so Mm -hmm. I think like that aspect of it was really cool that like there's no sort of barrier I guess on who can use them from what you're saying yeah yeah yeah. I know what you mean a matter of finding them and there's countless Mm -hmm. so um 
something that powerful could definitely stop the chroma conclave. It's just a matter of, again, finding one. And Osisa kind of, like you mentioned, guides them in the direction of where at least one is. Mm. And once they have one, they can kind of use that to like lead them. It leads them to the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. Again, and it goes to, so this is where it actually starts going into more mythical territory, right? Because these are magical objects with very magical powers. And so so here's the thing the uh, what's the uh, what's the part the, the there's a person from the slayer's take whose name starts with a z Zara. Uh, Zara is that Zara? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's very upset that Osisa even gave these guys that clue. Because getting a vestige that uh, Osisa is a patron of is like a matter of honor for them, for the Slayer's take, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's why they're like, you know what? We're, we're going to come with you on this uh, and we're going to deal with this. Um, and it leads them to some an interesting predicament so let's talk about that because really cool things happening right now yeah i mean well part of the thing that um i think makes the whole sort of i guess conflict with the slayer stake so interesting is that mm-hmm. osisa tells vox machina because they kind of stand up to her in the sense she's like yeah. calling them out on all their flaws and then she's like you guys don't even have like the dignity to like you know face me or whatever and mm. then i think pike is the one who makes the point of saying like screw dignity it doesn't matter we're here for answers and we're not leaving until we get them and we're going to mm. keep trying until you either tell us or like we'll we find trying. our own way yeah and yeah and um like osisa for her she was like okay great now i can tell you because you guys passed my test <laughs> but i think the people the, like or the members of the slayers take i don't know mm-hmm. that they i don't know how often or if at all they really come into contact with osisa or like i don't know what the procedure is for being like inducted into slayer's take Mm -hmm. and if they have to go through like a similar ritual or whatever but um yeah make an interesting point Mm -hmm. yeah zara being upset that vox machina got like info from osisa is not super surprising because um she takes this seriously yeah (laughs) yeah but also, like, I mean, Vox Machina just kind of waltzes in, and then they're just, like, they get just kind of get thrown to Asisa, and then the, like, members of the Slayer's take are all joking, like, oh, who's gonna get eaten first? And then Vox Machina pops up, and then Vex is like, we got information, we're leaving, bye. So, like, bye. I can understand, yeah, I can understand why Zara is, like, upset, but mm-hmm. um, I think also, like, Vex and Vax make a good point because like later like Vox Machina kind of sets off on their own and then later Cash and Zara join them and Vex and Vax are kind of having like a conversation and they're like we can't trust them we have to be really careful um and it's really interesting because I think initially you see like both of their like you see Cash and Zara's perspective you see Vox Machina's perspective and it really does seem like neither of them can trust the other oh yeah but then, like for sure later on like you kind of 
it, it's that weird scenario where it's like you're all really technically on the same side you just don't know it yet because you're too busy mm. fighting so maybe mm. you stopped for like five seconds <laughs> Um, but initially, yeah, there's a lot of, like, conflict, and, like, Zara and Vex definitely have some sort of, like, low-key slash not really low-key rivalry going on, which yeah. is, um, it's, you know... I would call it a levity. rivalry. Should I call it a rivalry, or should I call it, um, um... It's kind of like a rivalry, but also, I think it's, like... It's a thing. It's, like they're, it's they're a thing. To, like, one-up each other. Yeah. But um, also, I mean, Vex and Vax do have a bounty on their heads, so it's, like, <laughs> I'm sure even if Zara and Cash, like don't She's really Vex. mind that's um, <laughs> i think they probably wouldn't mind the bounty like or the reward associated with it anyway no. so um but yeah i mean <laughs> the, the thing that always kind of just made me laugh about like the whole interaction was like uh, it was a bigger thing i think in the actual stream but mm-hmm. i know like there was this whole thing with like cash and keyleth that they kind of like adapted to the animated show i know what um, you're talking about it's hilarious and... as hell i will keep laughing at it but boy needs to I you know mean, what? I, don't, what i still don't know the i don't know the specifics but i like cash apparently is married to a goddess somehow but oh. then he also i think has like a thing with zara i don't know like i said i don't know the specifics i know it's a thing that's like expanded on more in the stream but in the show i just love that like again they had a lot to like condense and adapt for the show but then they still put in moments of like cash just like flirting with keyleth and like poor keyleth like kind of not really reading the signs but then also kind of just getting flustered anyway and then just like Vax being emo in the background yeah because (laughs) because why does he get that reaction why does he get that reaction i told her i was in love with her and she said it was a horrible time it was a really bad time but also it was in her defense it was really bad timing but come on she didn't say no right that's the thing like that's what always makes me laugh and and also you know just knowing how it ends up i mean and i think um, you know what that scene reminds me of i've told you about this yes i do (laughs) and it's a scene from a series that we love and a scene that we absolutely go hysterical over because of the context of it because like come back alive then we'll see (laughs) (laughs) yeah but no i I, I, something about it like i i know the show hasn't it doesn't have the time that the campaign has to like Mm -hmm, get into like mm -hmm. intra-party relationships or whatever you want to call it but like Mm -hmm. i just love that like they still took time to like animate like the kind of ridiculousness of it where it's like technically Keyleth never said yeah. she just called him out on his horrible timing which it was but again in, in her defense like that's completely valid but then also Vax was totally valid for like blurting out his feelings in a moment where he thought they were all gonna die like they were all gonna die valid. y'all but, give him some credit like, they were all gonna die yeah I mean I I don't know I just like I, I just thought it was also just kind of interesting because I think at the mm-hmm. end of season one when Vax kind of goes back up to, to Keyleth and they have this moment where he's like you know he says like I meant what I said mm-hmm. and she's like she she does comment and she does say like it's the first time anyone has ever said that to her and I, and technically I guess maybe Cash would be the second time anybody's ever expressed interest in her which um, A is kind of weird. I'm surprised. Hello, why wouldn't because you? Keyleth, it's Keyleth. I know, I know, like all of them really but like okay. <laughs> 
maybe the people of Taldori just have weird preferences. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but, their um, preference is their preference. No judgment. You know, like yeah, no judgment. But it's just like, hello, like look at I, all of them. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I just thought it was like really interesting. But like, she was getting so like not like. I mean, maybe I guess like flustered is probably a good example, like word to describe it. But then Vax is just in the background, like looking being like all just evil. It's like <laughs> priorities, but like also you have nothing to worry about. I no. mean, if you know how it, like the story goes, it's, oh, some of those yeah. lines, yo, it, it, it's the Lord. Liam and Marisha, I I'm coming after you for I, I'm coming after you guys. No, wait, just, wait just no. I mean, there's there so many. Oh my god. Like, and not even just um, like Laura and Talison, too. I mean, like, oh really god. Cool, like, Travis and Ash, like the whole cast, really. Like, even characters like Scanlan, who just come across as just like, like Scanlan just seems like all he wants to do is just like get laid and like have, you know, crazy like orgies with people and stuff. Which and up like... until a point is true, but and no judgment. <laughs> you do you, girl. You do you, boy. It's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, know. yeah, like the the judgment is like at least I would hope it's not like you know, yeah, people I don't judging care him for that, right. like yeah. character wise. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, even like some of the lines that he has, and like it's like all these characters, like sometimes like on the surface they look a certain way or like they're played a certain way for a bit, but then really like once you get further into even like the animated show, it's like there's more to all these characters and just what might meet the eye and like even Scanlan has his moments and like yeah like that type of character is a bad character or whatever I mean arguably I think Scanlan has some of like the funniest lines and like um he has some of I think the most relatable moments because he's like like if I feel like if you took an ordinary person and just like plonked them in a fantasy world I think a lot of their reactions would be like Scanlan and just you know Mm. like we talked about earlier like him being very reluctant to fight dragons like if that was me I would be all like this is a terrible idea we should not go near those things we should like run in the opposite direction (laughs) even though I might want to help but you know thinking realistically I might be like let's maybe not (laughs) let's Um, probably not you want to go towards yeah. the thing that kill us? <laughs> yeah. Sure. But, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I just, I I, I don't know. It's, it's just a really small thing, but I just love that, like, they took the time to kind of get in this, like, really big, heavy episode, just kind of put yeah. in, like, these small moments of levity with, like, Vex and Zara kind of, like, rasping each other and, like, oh, God. Vex just having his, like, emo moments in the background every time Cash just, like, said something and, like, I mean, again, to be fair, like, Keyleth kind of got, got flustered, but, like, she didn't do much else. And to be Dude, fair, Cash nothing didn't do close much to else. what she did when Vax said something, okay? No, just <laughs> enough, right? Enough. But I do want to preface this because you you made a very good point um, about all these characters being, having so many layers, right? Um because this episode focuses a lot on the twins' dynamic with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for good reason, because what happens here is incredibly stressful. And 
also really painful and also so moving. I cannot imagine. It, it really hurt me when I saw this because they did a really good job of conveying what these two meant to each other because they... they, they Again, it's hard to explain because I I watched it. I felt so... You can feel this moment because it's kind of... It's insane, really. Pretty insane. But... It is, yeah. Yeah, because you see them as kids. You see their father mistreating them. You see Vex wanting to get their father's approval and failing to do so. And Vex in a moment of righteous anger i i not vex vax sorry vax is like so mad at his dad at at their father for not acknowledging them and basically treating them like dirt he's just like we're leaving and they do end up leaving and that dynamic it shows how close they are and how frustrated vex can get sometimes yeah, I mean, I think what's really interesting, and I don't know if this analogy makes sense to anybody but me, but one of the things that I found really interesting about, like, Vex and Vex dynamic was that, like, in a very weird way, it almost kind of reminded me of Catherine Adora's dynamic from Shira. But, oh, like, interesting, but in a sibling way. And, like, yeah. yeah, and obviously, of course, in a sibling way, like, they're actually siblings and mm-hmm. nothing else no no um, I know what you mean yeah it, go ahead go um, ahead, go ahead. because like I think part of the thing that like in that show at least that I thought was like so interesting was like how closely like they were entwined mm. um just in, like how much they depended on each other like oh yeah in the situation that they were in but then for this show it's like there's elements of that like Vex and Vax kind of like looking out for each other depending on each other when they were mm. under Sildor's care and I use that word very loosely because it really wasn't it's it was not just kind care. of like they were under his roof yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. They just like lived in his house and then he was just like a dick to them the rest of the time he was like interacting with them. But um, I don't know, there's something about the dynamic. I think it was really because like there's that scene where um, it's in the flashback, they're in the woods and it's raining and like Vax is kind of upset that they've left. Yeah, and like Vax is like, it's fine. Like, I think she's like, "If if we go back, you'll just see. And Vax is like, I'll see what I've seen a thousand times before. And they're upset with each other, but it's like, um, there's a, Vex yeah, is the one who because... makes the comment, like, I stop telling me what I need. You don't know what I need. And she's like, kind of says, I don't need you. And I think Vax has spent his whole life kind of like looking out for her, at least as yeah. far as like their dad is concerned. And, and yeah. I think he's recognized that maybe she doesn't need him, but he definitely needs her. And the but way I don't think he she's says quite it, caught up to that yet. That's the thing, because she does go away. She does go away and then she finds him crying. And then the first time he sees her, he's like, you don't understand. You don't need me, but I need you. And I'm like, I know it's a very moving scene. And like, that's why it's a, like, it's a very weird analogy to relate Vex and Vax and like their dynamic to Catherine Adora because it's not a hundred percent equivalent. But I think just in terms of how it's much like, they relied on each other yeah, 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 yeah. and like really, really like kind of like, just became how, how they're almost like dependent yeah 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 yeah, yeah like it's... that kind of just gave me like the same vibes of like how Trinidad are growing up in the horde and then just like having each other and just like clinging really tightly to each other because they were all each other had and I think especially for Vex and Vax like given the environment that they grew up mm. in with, like mm-hmm, their piece mm-hmm, of shit mm-hmm. dead 
um and like the things that like the way he just treated them and like the way that like yeah it was also very weird because i don't know if campaign one ever actually like expands on it but they had a mom and like they were with her in byroden for a bit and then and for some reason sildor, sildor just took, them. took them away yeah yeah and it's like if you didn't want them and if you're going to treat them like garbage why even take them and then just act exactly. like oh my god you're such a burden to me like you know we asked you to take them but i don't know if it's because like they're it, because i mean i think even Vex mentions in the show their mom elena she dies in a dragon attack mm. um and I don't know if that's why he took them in because they were technically like, orphaned homeless at that in point. a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, in a way. But it's like, again, like if you didn't care for them, if you didn't want them, if you were just going to like be dicks to them the whole time, why even take them in? I mean, they were going to run away anyway. You would have just saved them some trouble, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, like that flashback scene is really, really moving because, mm. um, again, I think like as they've gotten older, I think Vex has kind of made her peace with like that part of, I guess, Vex. It's just kind of, I don't want to say overbearing, but he's very overprotective. And he's, certainly he's very protective of her. Of her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think she's just kind of gotten used to it. But I think um it takes her a little bit to realize that like he's not saying that because he thinks that she needs him i think it's it takes her a little bit longer to realize that vax is saying that because he really thinks he needs, he needs her, and her he can't, yeah. like you know like he spent so long you know just kind of like his sister is the only person he's got and like now she's like you know like initially in that flashback she was like i don't need you i don't and then she just like walks away and for him that was like well what do that i do broke in moment? that broke him yeah. so um and i think too also you know like they've spent so long just kind of relying on each other that like it's taken them a little bit to realize even i think with vox machina and like this larger group that they're not alone and yep i mean I think they realize it probably quicker than other characters, like Percy, for example. Mm -hmm, <laughs> but um, I think it still takes them a while to kind of realize that, like, they might have been on their own for a really long time, but they're not alone now. And there are people who are willing to look out for them, whether it's, like, Percy or Keyleth or whoever. Like, they're all a group and they're all friends and family. So, like, they have... <laughs> more people now but um I yep. think also just because like that was such a huge thing for them just being on their own for so long that like even now at this age they're still kind of repeating that do not go far from me line because it's still such a huge part of who they are like I mean they're kind of like a unit in some ways like you can't have one without the other and so that part I found really fascinating but yeah that scene like the flashback scenes are so moving because it's like I, I don't know it just it's like it tugs at your heartstrings in like the right way that's like yep. I don't know it just makes it very emotional so yeah watching that scene it was like that scene on its own was moving but then when you see that like what happens later it mm. becomes a thousand times more so because it's just it's this a is what I want to talk about this is what I want to talk about because holy shit it is so Oh, oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god, oh my god. it's so <laughs> I, I cannot say this enough because this okay so they're in a tomb Let, let's preface that with this they're in a tomb looking for a vestige 
and the vestige belongs to the matron of ravens their goddess of death okay <laughs> so let's talk about that for a sec and first of all it's morbid to say the least right the whole thing is morbid to say the least but then then Vex goes to uh, Vax goes to investigate. The rest of the group is just like looking around as well. Percy finds a floor panel, uh, and basically, it, Vex is like thinking, like, "Wait, don't touch this! Stop!" But then it's too late, and then the armor that they see it sets off a trap, and it kills Vex. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for anybody who's not familiar with campaign one and or I guess how critical role has sometimes operated, and this might not just be like a critical role thing, it could just be like a D&D or tabletop RVG thing. But, mm. um, I know as far as campaign one goes, I haven't seen campaign one completely, but I know that most of the characters, if not all of them, at least in Vox Machina, have died multiple times and they've been resurrected mm-hmm. with varying degrees of success. Um, and sometimes I think it's like they've been able to be resurrected by, you know, other like players. And sometimes it's like a story thing where they're resurrected and then mm-hmm. given an opportunity to come back to life and then very cruelly yanked away. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, when you see it in, in the animated form, though, I think it's very different because it, and especially if you're not familiar, it does seem like it's a final thing. Um, and I mean, we saw a little bit of it in uh, season one at the mm-hmm. end when Keyleth took that hit for Vex and it looked like oh, she yeah. might not make it. And That is a similar situation, I agree, yes. Yeah. Um, but I think like this one, like what makes it a little bit more um Painful? of a big deal. Well, yeah, that too. It's like I mean it, but like for season one when it looked like maybe Keyleth was like dying, there was still like a solid, I wanna say like five minutes where it like they were just trying to revive her and like Pike even said like she's alive but barely. Yeah. And it like you kind of saw like it oh yeah in this there was nothing pike was trying to help but it didn't work right well because in this one i think as soon as vex got hit it was very obvious that she just like died whereas in season one when keyleth got hit it was like oh my god is she dead and then it was like a brief bit like is she alive and then it's like okay no no no, she's dying and then i think there might have been like a few seconds where it's like okay she's gone but then they they got her back because uh, Vax remembered the the thing that she did with Cassandra, which yeah. ended up working for her. Yeah. Um, so like they got her back eventually, but I think t- technically, I guess I don't even know. Um, uh, in season one, I guess there was like a very brief bit where I guess Keyleth technically dies, but you yeah. know, even then, like you still have a little bit of time between mm-hmm. like when she got hit and when that happened. Mm-hmm. But in season two with Vax, it is like instantaneous. And it's like, I think too, like the yeah. they animated it. Like you literally see the light leave her eyes and it's like, oh yeah, it feels very final. Like more so than it felt in season one. Also the setting. They're in a tomb for the yeah. matron of ravens, who is their goddess of death. So, you know. Yeah. And then also like at that point, Cash and Zara had like split off from them and it was like, yeah. are they betraying them? Like 
at least if you don't know or if you if you hadn't seen the mm-hmm. show before and if you weren't familiar with campaign one it was like this whole element of like mm-hmm. will they betray them won't they betray them what are they mm-hmm. really doing like what's their motive type thing mm-hmm. um but at that point cash and zara had split off to try and get the vestige for themselves before vox machina did and they ended up taking the wrong route or like going the wrong way and not getting to where they needed to go yeah um but with vox machina i mean they found the right room the vestige was in it was just vax had stepped away to like investigate something else and then percy had this moment of like eh, it's not a big deal there's this thing we can like investigate it and vax is like no, no wait wait we should wait for everybody um and in the process when the trap is activated she gets hit and it looks like there's nobody who can really like bring her back this time yep. um and then you know eventually cash comes in and does his bit but mm-hmm. uh we get one of like the most epic scenes i think in the whole show so far yeah which is where you get to see the raven queen kind of like standing over vex and you kind of see like her soul almost leaving her body and, and the then... threads of fate basically <laughs> oh yeah. my god yes Vax with his and Vax is like take me instead the way he's like screaming at her to take <laughs> him instead and it's again, just... like, I haven't seen the actual scene in campaign one, but I think I heard that like Liam rolled an 11 or something. To oh that my happen. God, that like... must have been something. That must have been something. Yeah. 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 I mean, but like, that's the cool thing that like, I mean, again, I've only seen, uh, I've seen EXU completely and I'm very slowly catching up on campaign three. <laughs> I'm a little bit behind. I'm a lot behind really. But, mm-hmm. um, but the cool thing I've noticed is like, even in moments of like, you know, like, in these like really big important moments when it comes down to like the role of a dice to decide like really big decisions mm-hmm. uh sometimes players have been able to get by with like not very high rules like, if i remember mm. correctly i think the end of exu and i know you haven't seen it so i won't spoil you that's why the end i think there's like a really big moment and I think it like it ends up being determined by like not a roll like a, a low roll but like a not a super high roll either if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but that's a huge moment, like character moment too. I think, or maybe it was a high roll. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that's just something I've always found really fascinating. But like, especially for stuff like this, like you know, Vax like yelling at the Matron of Ravens and then like exchanging his soul for Vex's, like apparently liam just rolled an 11 and that happened <laughs> so it's like but, i wonder yeah, what the opposing rule was <laughs> it hurts because the way he was like take me instead and you see her cutting the thread of fate that binds them and mm-hmm. oh yeah no it's very moving too especially after like you've just seen the after flashback that flashback like, exactly yeah, especially after just repeating that like do not go far from me do not go far from me and it's like oh didn't ask for this yeah i didn't ask for i didn't ask oh, to get attached like this that, that no not fair it's but pe- yeah know, but i know i was i was, I was really like... expecting him to say you went somewhere i can't follow don't do this to me you know like i can't yeah, like I hate it. I hate Sam it. And it's dumb. The Lord of the Rings. Don't go where I can't follow. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh my yeah. god. I, I hate know, it. It's a very moving scene, and especially again, like after you've seen the flashback and after you see Vax just like not constantly, but he he said it a couple times before, like, don't go far from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then initially, you know, like in the present when he says that to Vex the first time she's like you've always said that don't worry it'll be fine and then they have this moment of like I mean I don't think that she realizes it because she's been dead for a second but it's like no it's not fine (laughs) and like he's very cut up about it and like he has every right to be and it's a huge huge deal and not just like for Vox Machina as a group because I'm sure they all really care about Vex but like Vex especially that's like his sister that's his twin that's it hard to explain yeah i mean i yeah uh, yeah it's a very and moving scene and i think we're not it doing really any is. justice no like, we're not you you, you need to experience it. <laughs> it you need to experience it really but because because of this there's so many cool things happening because like this awakens a monster i think right that or i think Uh, sarah awakens a monster by uh by accident let's talk about that no she she has a monster she has like a thing in her little like pendant Mm -hmm. thing which is like the crazy part because um Cash technically helps revive vex and or he he attempts to but i think part of it may have been or maybe all of it may have been Vax exchanging um, yeah. his life for Vex's and the Raven yeah. Queen allowing that to happen. Yeah. Um, but once Vex is like revived, they're all like attempting to get back to the surface. And Cash and Zara still have like this weird plan of like, well, maybe we can try. We have to take the like... vestige. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Zara releases the monster and then Vox Machina tries to fight it. And then in the end, unfortunately, they all get petrified like one by one mm-hmm. until I think like Vax has a vision and he figures out how to defeat it. Um, and then at that point, Cash and Zara are like, you know what? I want to talk about this. this. Right I want to talk about this moment because there's a cooler moment coming towards the end of season two for Vax, by the way. Like, <laughs> I, but. In this moment, he finally realizes that he has to accept this vestige at this point and let it become a part of him instead of because up until now, he's like, I had to save Vex. I did it so I could save Vex. And now I have this thing, which is fine. But that's all this is right now. But in this moment, he was looking for a way to help his friends and it awakened something in the vestige and let him defeat this monster that was petrifying everybody. I thought that was really cool. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, like that vision and like that, like sort of sequence of Vax attempting to fight and then just realizing that like he didn't have control over it and he just kind of had to like go with the flow. That was really cool. Um, But then also like, the, the way it was animated and like the way he fought that monster also just like visually I thought that it was, was really very cool well done and yeah it was really cool and then also like there's like that moment where they're all like the rest of Vox Machina is like what is that and then mm-hmm. I think he was the one who points out it's like it's the vestige that has to be and it's like I don't think that until that point I don't think they realized that they had like a vestige yeah that or like they just maybe didn't realize like what it was capable of but now yeah. that like Vax is kind of like gotten through like this initial test and he's now able to like 
use the vestige or like yeah it augments his natural abilities or however you want to yeah yeah. like agility Um, let's say agility yeah Um, but yeah I mean like the whole fight sequence it was really cool Mm -hmm. but again I just thought it was really interesting that after like having revived Vex Cash and Zara were still like let's try taking the thing one more time Mm -hmm. and like at that point it's already like Vax is already wearing it it doesn't come off and I don't know if they know that but like we find out or we know and it's like yeah like it could be for all intents and purposes like that thing is just super glued onto him it ain't coming off at least not now not not Um, no I don't know I, I I just thought like after everything it's like now like after somebody has died and you've just like gone through all this effort to revive her you want to try stealing it one more time like priorities people but um yep. I think for them it's just like OC says their patron they deserve it and that was probably all but it was nice to see that like after the fight um or after like the monster really started winning they mm-hmm. were just like oh snap maybe we made a oh, mistake oh shit that was a mistake yeah 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 um so like you know cash helps in the fight and he like uh unpetrifies fox machina one by one mm-hmm. while vax is busy doing his like you know super... magic thing yeah yeah <laughs> um and i don't know i just like like even though like the episode is like super heavy i just like it it was nice that it kind of ends on a light note like i don't want to say Vex and Zara reconciling, but like I think they kind of reach an understanding. And uh, yes, yes. Zara That's the best way of her pendant. Um, yeah, and then like Vex has this idea to like put Trinket in the pendant and like take Trinket around with them. Um, and you know, like Vex is now having visions of a matron of ravens, which is oh not god, great, but... that's oh my um, god. That leads to something else completely, and I love how that plays out, but, like, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, my God. So good. So yeah. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's really, like, I, I don't know how to describe this without kind of just reducing it to, like, I think the show does a really good job of having a lot of, like, these really heavy moments, mm. but then balancing them really well with, like, moments of levity, and I think, like, this episode is a great example because yes. it is, like, a huge, huge deal with, like, facts um ultimately getting the Deathwalker's ward and then Vex dying. Oh yeah. It was heavy. It really is. It's a heavy episode. Like Vex gets revived. They have the vestige now. They all make it out with their limbs intact and ultimately alive. Mm -hmm. Um but you know like and and you know there's that kind of like ending bit where like Cash and Zara sort of apologize and like leave um on better terms. Than they initially started with, <laughs> yeah. Um, so like that kind of balances out some of like the heavier stuff we saw earlier. But then mm-hmm. the show has to do something else, and then the last bit we see is like Anna, so, yeah, like mm-hmm. not even I don't even think Box Machina has like registered or they even thought about it right now. But um, we see a shot of like Anna Ripley walking towards Western, which is completely in, like engulfed in, in flames. flames, yeah, and um. I think she's, it's like hinted that she's like somehow watching or spying on Vox Machina, which is really interesting because she's kind of been like that one loose thread from season one that I'm sure has kept pursuing. (laughs) Um, It's really interesting to see her kind of like worked into 
and what then yeah exactly how how what's she doing now it it kind of leaves you with oh my god i know her what is she up to now can't be anything good <laughs> can't wait to find yeah. out kind of thing you know oh yeah, my god but, um but yeah i mean like the first four episodes were like super heavy but then they also had, like, and it only gets better moment. from here and like to be honest five is one of my favorite episodes of the whole series i so know far. exactly uh, why so we'll I'm talk looking about forward. it yes i am very much looking forward to screaming about it yes. on the next episode absolutely <laughs> so, so much so many things to because there's so many elements to that episode and i say elements pun intended <laughs> but um there's so many cool things about this episode uh, about the next episode uh that we cannot wait to talk about with you guys um so thank you we really appreciate each and every one of you who stuck around with us and we will be back next week with part two of season two of the legend of vox machina in which we will discuss episodes five to eight Thanks, guys. We really appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. As always, our lovely theme song is Water Lily by the 126ers. The Nerdy Podcasts podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and you can follow us online at nerdy-podcasts.tumblr.com or at nerdypodcasts.wordpress.com.